You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yo, welcome into the House of L podcast, House of L actual episode coming your way. I am Lawrence Holmes, and we thank you as always for listening to the podcast. I'm excited about this episode for a couple of reasons. One, my guest is amazing, and the conversation that we had about covering basketball and Talking about Stevie Wonder was phenomenal. Like, just the conversation was great, but this is the first episode that I'm doing from the new studio, so I am looking forward to hearing it. I it's so I just had a flashback, like, listening to Marin. Mark Marin's podcast is one of the reasons why I do House of L to begin with, and he would talk about how he had moved from house to house and he was trying to get the sound right. So this is the first voyage. The place that I have now, like there's a dedicated space for this, whether it's the radio show or podcasting. One of the things I figured out during the pandemic is that the next place that I was in, I was going to make sure that there was a dedicated space that was separated from like the living area. If that makes any sense. So this is the first episode inside the new studio. I just had the carpet put down. Like, it's so makeshift right now. Like, I'm literally, my desk hasn't come yet. So I have one of those extendo things that you put on top of a desk that is is acting as my desk right now. It's acting as, but that's okay though, right? Like, this is an audio medium and you can't see me, John Cena. So it's all good, but it's cool. I really like this. It's a small space, but I think that once things get a little bit more normal, I'm really looking forward to actually inviting people here to the literal House of L. If they feel comfortable, if they they feel comfortable. What's cool about it, though, is it's it's hard to describe, but it's separate from the living area, meaning 
that someone who is a guest on House of L isn't walking around in my living space. Like, they don't have to feel weird because they're seeing laundry or they're, like, walking through the kitchen. Like, it's it's in the house, but it has, like, its own separate entrance. And I know it sounds fancy, but it's not that fancy. But I'm very, very excited about it, and I'm excited even just listening in my headphones. I, I like the way that it sounds. My brother is going to make some suggestions about some even better soundproofing opportunities in here since he has a studio of his own where he produces a lot of great music. His his stuff is out right now, actually. He just printed a, a new record. If you didn't know, some people don't know this, especially if you live in Chicago. It's a little bit weird. My brother is is Braxton Holmes, and Braxton is a house music legend. Like He's made all sorts of records. Like He was part of Casual Records, Clubhouse Records, he is so weird that he just put up like the demo tape of Daje, like the actual tape of it on Instagram. But that crew that did like Percolator and Brighter Days, like that was his crew. And he's got his own great records, you know. I I love a lot of his stuff, and I don't even talk about it that much, but it's weird for people because they don't realize that we're brothers. Like there are people who know us both but don't know that we're brothers or they've heard of Braxton and they listen to me, but they don't know that we're, that he's my older brother. Um, His whole catalog is great. My favorite is people every day. That's my favorite song that he's ever put together. So anyway, he's going to come by here and make sure that everything is, is cool. And the reason that I am able to do this podcast in the new place is because of David Hochberg. He and Amy Kite hooked me up. Amy is is not an advertiser on House of L. I don't want to cross streams and but you know, I I love her to death and they took really good care of me. David Hochberg has been my money dude for forever. So I can tell you, like he has a, a spot that he wants me to read. Sorry, David, I'm just gonna talk about how great you are. When I told him what the plan was, that I was tired of living in the sky, the apartment in the sky, that I wanted to have a home um, after, you know, selling my home for good reason, because <laughs> the market was right for it, that I wanted to get back into a home and he made things quick. Like he did, I'm not kidding you, like it was like a, a three-week turnaround from the moment that I said it's time to go till the place was closed on. So if you want results like that, he locked me in with a really good rate. You should call him, 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. He's got the radio show over on WGN. You can check him out on Home Sweet Home Chicago. But his whole team, like they, they don't, they didn't do this because it was me. Like this is just what they do. This is how they get down. They want to get people into their new places or they want to refinance. And he's been a tremendous help for me in, I think, every every home that I've bought. Wow. David Hogberg has been right there with me helping out. So 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com. I'm telling you his people get stuff done.
Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. Now let's talk about our guest. Vincent Goodwill is one of the leading authorities on covering the NBA. He's he's so good at his job, his style. I love his style. I love his approach, the way that he goes about doing it. Obviously, he spent a lot of time in Chicago covering the Bulls in the NBA for NBC Sports Chicago. He spent time at the Detroit News. He works for Yahoo right now as their senior NBA writer. And I just like him. Like, I even he and I disagree on a lot, too, Like especially if, if it comes to the, the 90s Pistons versus the 90s Bulls. He's a Detroit dude. But even when I disagree with him, I always think that what he has to say is based in fact. It's usually based mostly in fact and not in emotion. And he is well-sourced. Like, Vincent is one of those dudes that when he – I remember seeing him at the All-Star game and and seeing how people react to him. It's clear that, that he puts in the work. And that's one of the things that we talk about in this episode. We We talk a lot about what that means for what it means to be a beat reporter in the NBA, how you go about cultivating relationships, what his personal code is. Like Vincent's got a good code. And I think if you're someone who's interested in how some of this stuff works, you will appreciate that that code that he is talking about. We also got into some cultural stuff, which I thought was even like the the business stuff, the industry stuff, the advice that he gives is amazing, right? But then we started talking about some cultural things, and it was a hell of a lot of fun. We both have an intense love for Stevie Wonder's music, and we both are believers that Stevie can see. Kind of, kind of. It's explained inside the episode. So, sit back and relax. Hang out with me for a little bit. This is a fun episode with great stuff from Vincent Goodwill on House of L. So, I got a lot of a lot of things I want to start with you about, man. Okay. Does, does your love for basketball, does it translate to any other sport? I love football. Love football. Um, baseball is like one of those things that I like. I like it much better going to see it live. You know what I mean? Like the connection isn't always there when you're watching. Those. Like it's, it's not a great TV sport. Right. You know what I mean? At least not regular season baseball. Playoff baseball is a lot different just because you can feel the tension. Um, boxing. I love boxing like that. You know, good boxing. You know what I mean? Like not this. <laughs> nonsense that we doing now but but yeah 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 the only in even playoff hockey like in the 90s i kind of i kind of started just because the red wings were there and it was just there so you could like watch some of the games not have an emotional connection to it but just like a this is dramatic and you kind of feel the drama of it type of thing i always wondered how did black detroit feel about the red wings black detroit did not i can't speak for all black people that's like impossible, but we kind of bristled at the name Hockey Town. 
It's eighty five percent black. Like, wait, come on now, come on y'all, come on now. I get it. Makes all the sense in the world. And Detroit is different because it's Detroit, and then it's metropolitan Detroit and everything else. And of course, that's gonna be a little more diverse. But like, yeah, hockey town. Seriously, y'all. That's that's y'all just gonna act like we ain't here. All right, cool. Go ahead, just act like we ain't here. It was just we weren't out in the street, you know, or out, you know, on in the rinks or nothing like that. Like there were no delusions there. But it was it was just some irony that the blackest city in America was being called Hockey Town. Did you ever go to any of those games? No, no, no I didn't. Only and you know what? I'm kind of glad I did because uh, during the NBA lockout in 2011, I had to cover a bunch of different stuff. So, you know, going to Lions games was cool. You know what I mean? Like even though I'm not a Lions fan, I'm I've I quit the Lions 20 years ago. One of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. When Barry Sanders quit, I said, you know, it's time for me to get out. I think this is a great time. So I got out the day that he left. The day that he quit, I literally quit July 27, 1999. But so so covering the Lions was cool because there was no emotional connection, but just the atmosphere of football is always great. Michigan, Michigan State was great. And then I went to like a hockey practice at Joe Louis Arena. It was the coldest place I'd ever been in my entire life. And I hate being cold. So I was like, thank God I will not have to be here for an actual game because I will leave because it is freezing here. So you were legitimately Chance the Rapper's character in that SNL skit. Let's do the hockey. Let's do that hockey. Let's do the hockey. Yeah. Put it like this. I think I know what icing is. I think I know what icing is. I'm not sure what offsides is. I, I, I have, whenever I see it called, I'm like, Okay, what does that mean? You know what I mean? But I think I know what, what icing is. And those might be the only two rules that I really know. I mean, I feel but, like those are really the only new, the rules that you need to know. And then you can pick everything else up. So I got to imagine when you're living in Chicago during the zenith of Blackhawks hockey, it must have been really weird for you because that, strangely enough, they were able to cross over enough into other communities. And I remember there was this really funny moment on Channel 9 after they had won one of the Cups. And I think it was my man Marcus Lashock. He was just out there doing, like, the man-on-the-street type thing. Yeah. And and there was this black dude there. You know, Marcus is like, I'll talk to anybody. And the black dude came up to the microphone. He's like, you know the weird thing about all this? Blackhawks got black folks here loving hockey. And then just <laughs> walked away. It is a classic <laughs> TV moment, man. Classic. Well, it, it wasn't so awkward because the Wings had won a cup, I want to say in 08. And I think they went to a game seven against Pittsburgh in 09, which is why I know that Detroit hates Sidney Crosby, which is, they call him Cindy, which I think is like something we can't say anymore. Correct. You know what I mean? That type of thing. So it wasn't like abnormal for me to be around even in a journalistic standpoint, like a successful hockey team and the vibe and everything. So it wasn't too different. Did did the Blackhawks win the cup in 15? They did. Okay. And that was my first few months in Chicago because I got to Chicago in February. And, oh, shit, I forgot to cut my TV off. So you might hear my TV background. That's all right. I I was watching my favorite soap. I won't tell you which one it is. So Is it the one with Stephen A on it? No, 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 no. It's a soap that I want to be on. <laughs> well, wait, now you got to tell me. Like, now, it, now you have to tell me. What's the soap that you want to be on? Young and the Restless. Why? 
it's a family state. It's a staple. I've been watching that since I was like five years old, man. Like that's it's it's a very simple like thing. It's not really complicated. It's just a you know, I've been really devoted to watching it since like college. Okay. Not not to the point where you like you schedule your classes around it, but hey, if it's 12:30 and I ain't got nothing to do, I'm sitting there watching it. And then once I got out and went into my career, and then there was this thing called DVR. Absolutely. Oh, yes. I'm in it. But wasn't there that that I, there was that stage where it looked like all of the soap operas were going to go away like a couple of years ago where it was like yeah. a lot well, of them disappeared. All my children, like all of them just kind of went away. And yet the young and the restless is still here. Well, for a while, they used to get big number, big tele, like everything used to get big television numbers. Because you had like an older crowd, so the advertisers were like, oh, we can put Metamucil here. Mm-hmm. We can put, you know, Insure here. And like everything on live television, on everything on television that's not live sports, you know, even live sports, you see the numbers have gone down relative to what they used to be. So then some of them just started started getting cut, getting cut. But the most popular ones, Young and the Restless and General Hospital, those two ain't never going nowhere. And if they do, I will be inconsolable. That's, I would not be a happy man. That's how deep it goes with Young and the Wrestling. Oh, it's deep. If it goes away, you're going to have a problem. It, it, I'm, I'm going to be writing letters to the, you know, letter, like, you know, letters to the manager and all that type of stuff. I will be writing letters to CBS like, yo, y'all making a mistake. Has there ever been another show that you were like, man, I can't believe they took this show off the air or this show didn't, didn't get an opportunity to, like, finish up? Like, it still bothers me that Girlfriends didn't get, like, a finale. That's, oh, that's right. They did. I'll, I'll give you one. This is so bad. I don't see if you remember this. You probably will because you're older than me. New York Undercover. Hell yeah. I love New York Undercover. Fox Staple on Thursday nights. The Thursday night block with it was Martin, then Living Single, then New York Undercover. When they killed off Eddie, and which was like really like who sees a main character like being killed off. Like I said, episode I still can't like rewatch if I could if you could find it anywhere. I could I will never rewatch that. That was like heartbreaking. I think it's on Netflix. I think you can find it on Netflix. If I can find it on Netflix, I will definitely because you got to be introduced to like hip hop acts and everything else, and it was like a cool cop show. And it ain't a whole bunch of cool cop shows because I don't know about you. Are you like a uh, what are your feelings on uh, Elliot Stabler? Okay, so. I, I am a, a law and order guy, like not like politically, <laughs> but I love the franchise of law and order. And I really love SVU because of Olivia Benson, like Olivia Benson. Th- there's a lot of propaganda out there for sure. Right. But Olivia Benson seems to at least recognize the character. They have written that character that she recognizes that a lot of this stuff is some bullshit. So I was surprised that they were like, let's bring back the character that breaks all the rules. Let's, in this climate, like, I right. was surprised they were like, let's bring back that guy and let's let him do all the stuff that kind of got the character moved out of SVU. And, and, and it's celebrated. Like, I get that the two actors love each other, and I'm fine with that. I'm all about right. that. But I can't believe that 2021 has Elliot Stabler out here doing cop stuff. In these streets. 
Like it well, here's the thing. Because I know one of the uh one of the actors who plays uh the quote unquote crime guy's son, a guy named Nick Krieg, and Nick used to be in the business. So I've known Nick since Nick was trying to be in journalism, not trying, he was in journalism, and then went over there. And I was like, that could work for him. And then like, you know, seeing him like, this is cool. But then like, wait a minute, we bring in Stabler back and all of his Stabler-ishness. Yeah. Okay. If y'all want to take that chance, go ahead. Right? And he so far, and I missed a couple episodes. So I'm like going to, it's going to be one of those things that during the off night, during the playoffs, I'm going to just plow through. But I was like, so far he hasn't, superbly crossed the line yeah i was like you just gotta write them different like you could bring them back because the all the svu episodes are out every weekend like if you're sick and it's a saturday what are you doing besides being under the covers and watching svu on usa or one of those other stations there's nothing more to do and you know what you're getting from stabler you've seen his movies he ain't gonna be no different than what he was in season one to the season that you know he wound up leaving so you know what it is you know what I mean? So you just accept it and you're like, part of you is like, man, I hope somebody catch it. catch him a fair one. Yep. You know what I mean? You're like, I hope you just run up on the wrong dude and somebody just give you the beats, right? And then there's a part of you that's like, he's still, he's a tortured soul. He's compelling. It makes the show more three-dimensional than the traditional cop shows. And honestly, let's not try to make these cops superheroes. You know what I mean? This is more, I'm going to say, an accurate depiction, but there are probably more Stablers than Olivia's. Agreed. You know, people who are doing it by the book and everything else. If you're trying to show us what the real world looks like, I right, cool. Just admit that, though. That's Just all. don't be throwing me up against no wall. Well, let, since we're into the Law & Order universe, then I got to ask you, what was your favorite pairing of detectives for Law & Order? Briscoe. Briscoe and Curtis or Briscoe and Green? Because everyone seems it seems or Briscoe and Logan. I mean, that's going way, way back. Way back. I like I it it might it might be Briscoe and might be Briscoe and Logan. I like I I'm like Law and Order's been out since what 91? Yep. I you practice, you give me Briscoe and it is pick a random dude. He's the like Jerry Orbach was like the best man. Like the whole thing, the whole like deadpan. Once they figured out they had a thing mm-hmm. with him kind of doing these one-liners and stuff, they're like, let's lean into that. So it didn't matter like who who his partner was. I I was always a Briscoe and Curtis guy, but I could see that. I now I'm Briscoe and Green. What 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 caused the change? Because you really looked at how that relationship, like it was with Briscoe and Curtis, it was Curtis kind of morphing and, and kind of leaning towards Briscoe's way. And with Briscoe and Green, there was friction between those two dudes immediately. And, and I think that Lenny actually learned some stuff from Green versus, you know, trying to be a teacher for Curtis. Right. So I, I I just thought that I just I there, there was no back down from Green. Right. I, I I did like that. And 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 Lenny was so once he had his mind set on something, he wasn't budging, but he could there was a little give. It was like a little flexibility there 
you know, once he's like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. And I'm, and I like the way that it was written that it was like, okay, I may not fully go your way, but let's see where it goes. And I, I think that's like a nat- I won't say a natural evolution because actually people, as they get older, they go in the other way. They become more set. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm dealing with that right now as with the manager of the Chicago White Sox. Yes. I'm, I'm very well aware. <laughs> I'm going to sip this water. <laughs> let's just, let's just, let's just say this. I gave former Bulls coach, uh, Fred Hoiberg's successor, mm-hmm. Jim Boylan. I gave him the nickname Sarge. Cause I felt like all the stuff he was doing was like really elementary, really like, you know, full metal jacket ish type of thing. You yes. know what I mean? Like I haven't seen, I haven't fully, I haven't actually seen that movie, but a friend of mine showed me a clip and I was like, yes, that's Jim Boylan. I know that dude type of thing. Now I feel like Sarge should be Tony LaRusa. He would tell you that he's general. He, he would hate he, to be a, be a non-commissioned officer. You're probably right. Cause Cause, look, he hung out with Bobby Knight, right? Yep. And what was Bobby Knight's nickname? The General. There you go. See, y'all have all the fun. I'm in a base. I'm in a. I'm in Detroit, where the baseball team is not very good. They're not even really trying either. I I, I wonder. I wonder if it's incompetence or if it's on purpose. It can't be on purpose, right? Like the the owner is still alive, isn't he? No, he died. Oh well, then yeah, then maybe it could be. Mike Illich died a couple years ago. Uh, his son is taking over the baseball team and the hockey team. And there's some speculation. Uh, I've been, you know, a couple of people in the baseball world have said, yeah, maybe maybe there's going to be a lockout next. You know, there's going to be a, a, a labor thing. And I was like, okay, if there's a labor thing, maybe, maybe that's what he's doing. Not like, spending the money now, it. just sitting here waiting to see how the wind's blowing. And then. But I could be giving him too much credit. I think we. I actually think that we do that a lot. I think that we give a lot of people who are decision makers in sports more credit than they deserve. Like we have you know what them. Else I hate? What? You know what else I hate? Pet peeve of mine. I hate this. Why do we call owners Mr.? You ever mm. noticed that? It's a good point. Mr. Reinsdorf. Mr. I. No, that's, that's Mike Illich. That's Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, being taught a certain way like growing up like when there was someone older than you like a superior by age you know being taught by grandparents hey you refer to him as mr such and such right and elder but i ain't five no more correct and neither are the reporters why i joke about this all the time like this is one of my favorite stories from when i was covering the bears is that at one point lovey smith's son joined the staff okay and (laughs) He was um he was very entitled. He was very entitled. This is the son, by the way, that now has been arrested and he was out here pimping and all sorts of stuff. Oh wow. Yeah, there's a great story. Like well, it's not a great story, it's an interesting story. But okay. he he was working as an assistant. Lovey's other two sons, like Lovey was really good about making his sons like part of it, and the other two sons seemed completely normal. This one said to me, I don't know what, how it ended up, like we were having a conversation, and he was like, you can call me Coach Smith. And I was like, 
I don't call your dad Coach Smith. Right. He's actually won games. Who are you? Right. You're the quality control coach on this team. You're lucky I know you. The only reason I know your name is because you are Lovey Smith's son. You should have said I can call you quality control coach Smith. Oh, that would have been great. But I think he got my point when I said I don't call I And I never had, like, I when <laughs> I'm in press conferences or in interviews with Lovey, it's Lovey. He calls me Lawrence. He doesn't call me reporter. Right. So I'm not calling you by your by your title. Right. I'm calling you by your name. By your name. That's 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 it's weird, man. How how have you been able to handle because you're covering the entire NBA. So how different is it in COVID land covering the NBA when you're doing it on Zoom, basically? It's tough because I'm used to I won't say the personal touch because I'm not a touchy feely person. But there's something about being in someone's space to be able to understand context, even just for a simple uh, press conferences. Context means a lot when you can tell their body language. Are they shifting their weight? Are they looking you directly in the face to convey a level of seriousness to what they're saying? That type, those type of things. Like I'm not a psychology major, but I've taken some nonverbal communication classes throughout the course of life to know how things go. And for me, being in the locker room before the game, after the game, being on the floor, for guys to see you, like I'm not a sniper. I'm not a, I'm not a writer, reporter that's going to shoot at you from the light tower. Not that guy. I am the guy you will see me coming. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Not that, hey, I'm looking to incite or anything like that. Like, that's not. You're not not trying to be antagonistic, but you want to be responsible for your opinion. And being responsible means showing up. And so they can see you. Facts. And And that even if. Everything ain't on the record or whatever, but you know where I'm coming from. 
and we can have a level of familiarity where I don't just see you as million dollar athlete that I'm going to be, you know, taking a cut of meat off of, you know what I mean? Like that ain't, that's not my get down. So to do this, honestly, it's been pretty difficult. And there are certain players that you've had longstanding relationship with, you know, longstanding relationships with or whatever, that there's still the connection there. But it's like, okay, next year, I'm going to have to re-reestablish this connection. And I'm most ushering an entire new group of guys. Because as you know, the league changes every two years. At least in the NBA, the league literally changes every two years. And not just necessarily players, but the storylines and where they are and what players are kind of at the top of the heap and what players are coming up. Like, there's a lot of FaceTime that that you don't have. And I'm a person that... I want you to see me. I want to talk to you, that type of thing. And even if I'm shooting at you, I'm going to ask you questions almost in a private way that you will know where I'm coming from. It's not like, hey, let's glad hand and then I shoot at you later. I really don't get down like that. And you know, from when I was in Chicago, I could write something critical and be cool with the dude before and after. And it wasn't, it wasn't going to be no problem. Why? Because I didn't comport myself like somebody who was being fake. How do you balance that? Like if there's a young journalist is trying to figure out like that's a really, cause that's a, the perfect way to do it. Like you're, you're talking about being responsible for your opinion. You're talking about being present, you know, not, not throwing a stone and then hiding your hand. That's how I feel too. Like mm-hmm. you're going to see me. And if you want to, if you want to talk about it, I mean, I Lord knows that there have been many four and 12 letter words exchanged between me and Kenny Williams over the last 15 <laughs> years. And, but I think that that's important because people need to, they need to see you. They need to see that you're willing to back up what you say with evidence and, yep. and not be afraid to then present it to them. So how do you go about like cultivating a relationship with players, front office people, coaches, so that they understand that you're here to do a job, but you're going to do it professionally? It becomes harder now because the business has, can become a little bit more favor for favor type of thing where it becomes a little bit tougher when people don't kick it the way you kick it mm-hmm. as a reporter. And it's not shake to anybody because everybody does it a different way. Everybody has a different personality, a different approach, a different way to use either their institutional knowledge or their connections or whatever. But sometimes players can get it twisted and think that you work for them because they may have certain relationships somewhere and think, oh, this is how it is. And it's not their fault. A lot of times, a lot of times teams don't tell players this is how it is. There's some really good teams that go through a lot to tell players this is how the player media relationship, you know, should work. And I've, I've seen it happen. So when it when it's not the case, I'm like, OK. I'm not going to blame the player. I'm going to blame the franchise here. Because a lot of times you're talking about 19, 20-year-old kids. What do they know about us in that way? So I give them grace on the interactions. If I'm talking to a younger journalist in the business, it's more or less, okay, what do you want to be? Like, because here's my thing. If you're... like, I'm not going to say waste my time, but if you want to do this a certain way, there's ways to do it. If you want to do it other ways, I'll tell you how to get there and just say, that's not my way. You know what I mean? Like, 
whatever the roadmap is, I can help you with the roadmap, even if that's not my particular way, because ultimately you want these guys to be successful. Um, but if you want to kick it a certain way, get respect, get guys to talk to you, but get guys to speak to you honestly, then approach them honestly. Ask insightful questions in the scrum, because believe it or not, they pay attention to who's asking what. You know what I mean? Even if it's a group of guys and hopefully we don't get we get back to the place where we can be in locker rooms again and stuff like that. But they know who's asking what you can tell the facial expressions when even if they don't see the person, but they hear the voice and they're like, oh, this dude, you know what I mean? Because they know either by the interactions that they've had or what they've written. Oh, I know where this dude coming from. This is one note. You know what I mean? And the Mm -hmm. answers often reflect that. But if you approach them professionally hey i'm such and such this is where i work you know i'm going to be here every day type of thing you let them know hey i'm going to be here and then as you start to grow and cultivate relationships where you don't need them like for me that's where the pregame locker room stuff is really important because nine times out of ten i don't need anything from you right then and there but i'll show you that i'll show you my personality I'll try to get to know you. And it's not just on this, hey, I need a quote, boom. You know what I'm saying? Here's the microphone or the phone in your face type of thing. It's a relationship, but it's an honest relationship. And sometimes you can say, hey, look, if things don't go well. I'm going to ask you some tough questions. One thing I always would tell guys, I don't determine what I write. You do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. When you, you know what I mean? Like, it's my job to chronicle, you know, what happens at Insight Perspective, all this other type of stuff. But the basis of what I'm going to write is usually predicated on your performance or your action. So if you have a problem with what I write, turn that mirror around and say, okay, what, what was my role in this? Now, if I'm unfair to you, come at me. I welcome, I'm gonna say I welcome that. But we can have disagreements. You know, me and Jimmy Butler had disagreements. Me and Dwayne Wade had disagreements. But there was always respect. Always. And there's nothing, like, these guys are, even though they're millionaires, they have disagreements in their life. Like, you don't have to kiss their feet. Like, this is not, lack of a better phrase, washing the royal penis. This is not what we're (laughs) here for. It's not, I'm not here to be an antagonist or anything like that. And I've never been that. And I know Chicago probably thinks, Yes, this was the guy that bashed the Bulls all the time, went on TV and said the Bulls weren't going to make the playoffs when they didn't. Said the Bulls were going to lose this playoff series when they didn't. Stuff like that, right? And it was like, oh, you just hate the team. No, I am telling you my feelings or my thoughts on what I see. That's it. Anything beyond that, all right, cool. If you want to know my feelings, all right, cool. My feelings are subject to interpretation. My thoughts are usually general, pretty straightforward. You brought up the concept of media literacy and media literacy training by teams. Who does do it well and why is it important? There are, and usually, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's the teams that have the long time PR folks who knew back in the day, okay, these two newspaper covering us, they're going to be here every day or the three or whatever it is. They're going to be here every day and we need to cultivate good relationships with them not so it can always be positive but that it can at least always be fair and accountable so indiana like david benner 
you know, even even Chicago to some degree with like Timmy Hallam. I you agree. Know, Tim comes from an old school and comes from having to deal with Michael Jordan where nothing in life will ever be bigger than Michael Jordan when the NBA was exploding from a media standpoint because everybody wanted and Tim had to be the watchdog. Uh, where I live now, Detroit does it does it really well. Where in some other teams that that I've actually talked to, they have scouting reports. Where not in a negative way, but they'll say, "Hey, this is this is this writer. This is you know how he is." Da 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 da, and not like a this is how you deal with him, or this is how you deal with her. But this is usually their approach. Blah blah blah. When they say, and it's literally, I've seen some people say when they say on the record know it's going to be subject to being in the newspaper or wherever. If they say off the record, it's not. And if whatever, and just know that whatever information that's being gathered there could be subject to you to be used in a completely different context than what you want. And you, and you have the right to ask them how this reporter is going to use this information as part of the conversation. I think that that's really important. Like, I I think that there are a lot of players who don't understand the concept of on the record, on background, off the record. You know what I mean? Like, they they don't know. And I think that it's important. And some of this is getting away from PR staffs because guys are taking their messages straight to audiences via Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, like, whatever. Right. But I think that, that because there are still some mandated interactions with us, that it's really important that they do some media literacy training just to explain some of that stuff. And then you can go, okay, I know I, I know if I haven't built up a relationship with a, a media member to be careful about what it is I say and when I say it, like the context of it. I mean, I've seen, I've seen all sorts of sneaky stuff where there were writers who were doing this thing where – they have their notebook and the recorder is underneath. So they're walking up to the, the, the player and the player's thinking, oh, they're just writing stuff down. Uh-uh, fam. They're recording you. The recorder is on and you yeah. can't see it. And it's stuff like that that I think that, that those players need to know. Absolutely. And there are certain instances where it's, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul a lot of times. For everybody, like we all make value judgment decisions on how we do this journalism thing, whether it's a short term thing or a long term thing. And some people I'm like I said, you see me coming. (laughs) I I can't. It's not in me as a human being to be fake. Like I'm very transparent, like, you know, like my wit can be sarcastic and stuff like that. But a lot of times that's simply just to break the ice. You know what I mean? That's just like. That's not the, hey, how you doing, buddy? That, no, 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 that's not really me. I'm like, dude, you shot eight for 24. My grandma could shoot better than that. But they know it's <laughs> tongue in cheek type of thing. And they're, not, and they're not taking it personal. And they let their guard down a little bit. And you can have a conversation with them. And you're right. And some guys do. Like, I'm not going to, hey, when I say off the record, I legitimately mean off the record. And by the questions that I'm asking, you know what I'm doing. Hey, I think this dude is out of control or he don't know what he's doing or whatever the case may be. You know what? Me too. This is not, you know, like that type of thing, you know, or no, I think you're a little bit off. Like, 
it's been that case. And I've cultivated some great, I, I miss the beat in a way, Lawrence, because I miss the everyday, the, the back and forths. Because a lot of times, you know, in a one-off, a guy may have a bad day and it has nothing to do with you. He could just be having a bad day. And if like, wait, I'm supposed to base my interaction for this one story, for this maybe big story off of one interaction with this guy. I, yeah, that bothers me to some degree because you don't get the rhythms of it. You don't, you know what I'm saying? You know that over the course of a week, man, if I could would have came yesterday, it'd have been totally different. And they sometimes know that. So sometimes they will charm it up for you on a one-time basis because they want to be presented the best possible way. Yeah, that's cool for you, but I want the, the realest way. I want the full picture type of thing. So I miss that about, I miss that about the beat. I miss the everyday, the wit, the back and forth, that type of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's different for, it's, it's, it's different, especially when Twitter's involved and everybody can shoot upon high and they don't know the difference between what you're saying to them and what random guy who calls himself NBA expert who has maybe a few followers says, and it's like, well, y'all media, y'all, it turns into y'all, 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 and not you, you or you. And so you have to break down those barriers and says, and, and to the point where he's like, look, no, 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 judge me off me. I'll judge you off you, approach me to me, you know, that type of thing. But you can only really do that when you're face to face. Like the group think will come from the Zooms because what other choice do they have to judge their media interactions on if they're staring at us through a screen and it's the equivalent of speed dating? Oh, uh, you're right. You're 100% I've never right. done speed dating, actually. No? Nah. Me neither. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like a great way to get to know someone, does it? Exactly. It's not. It's not. You're married, so it's different for you. Yeah, but even when I wasn't, like, <laughs> it just doesn't seem like. I. It seems like a really bizarre way to go about trying to find a mate. But or maybe I'm looking at it too. I need to look at it a little bit more granularly and be like, okay, this is just to set up the actual date, versus you're trying to find someone. Yeah, but even then, like even the courting period ain't supposed to be so awkward. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's definitely not. It's not supposed to be. Do people court anymore? Like, wait, did I just did I just use a word that I is mean, in a completely different context to the world we live in now? Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I got it. I mean, I know what it is, and there, I'm sure there are people that listen on the pod that understand what courting is, and and it's 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 very quaint that you said <laughs> said that because it's like game one, like we're in the playoffs, right? Game one is like that, that first quarter dance where you're like, all right, let's fill each other out here. By game four, everybody knows everything. But the, the first quarter of game one, that is the equivalent of the courting period, people. That's a very important designation that you've made there for, for the folks. Dating advice with Vinny and Lawrence. I, why not? I mean, I think that that works too. That, that could be its own podcast. Who, who are the people that you love to talk to about basketball? Ooh. That is really interesting. You mean like from a media standpoint, or just ball players? Just the game, like people that you love to talk to because you know that you're going to have a great conversation and maybe even learn something about the game. You know what's funny? I, it's funny. I love talking to coaches. Like sometimes being able to pull them to the side and, and know that this is completely off the record. 
I'm not using I'm not using our conversation to write anything. I'm just, hey, when you did this, what was the thought there? Because we all think we're armchair coaches, right? Sure. And we're thinking, man, that was such an obvious decision to make. And we're thinking in like a binary, a, bit, a very linear way, right? Like, yeah, one plus one equals two. And then you talk to him and say, hey, what was behind this decision? Because I thought you thought da 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 da, right? Yes, that's what I thought. But did you consider this and this and this and this? I did not think about that. I did not think about the high flare screen. I did not think, you know what I mean? And I'm a pretty, you know, I was taught the game, you know, by some, by some good people and have run across some great people. I've learned a lot and it's still things that I haven't, you know what I'm saying? Considered. So I love talking to coaches who don't mind talking and don't mind talking like a non-condescending way. I love talking. Some ball players are really great at breaking, at breaking, breaking down the game. There are, there is a few like, Dwayne Wade was really, really good, even at as like his older age of being able to tell you exactly what he saw. Like, almost like he took a picture and here's the picture and I'm describing to you what's left of me, what's right of me, where I think I'm going and what's going to happen when I get there type of thing. So, A, that's why I didn't go there because I knew what was going to happen. Like, damn, that is like some excellent shit that type of thing. So there's, there's a few guys who just really, Andre Iguodala is really cool. Um, and then like some of the old heads, I love talking to the old heads, like the old heads who aren't bitter. There's some old heads. Cause there's, you know, there's some old heads who come across, like they resent the money. They resent the openness of the game. You know what I mean? Like you can tell that, that they're hate watching basketball. You know what I mean? Like, I guess there's something to that, but when someone can explain to you the evolution of how things got from where they were to where things are, and once again, not a straight line, and they can just tell you why it is the way that it is, and it makes all the sense in the world, I love that. Like Rasheed Wallace, genius. He Basketball is, genius. I've had, I've had two conversations with Sheed, and I've walked away going, man, the the public perception of you is so false. Like, he is a basketball virtuoso. He's a savant. He is a GD savant, man. He, he has a dick. It's almost like he has a Rolodex. Like, and it comes from being taught by Dean Smith. Everything that he learned came from those two years in North Carolina, and it started to shape his basketball mind, where it's just – Okay, what's plan B? There is no plan B. Do plan A the way that plan A is supposed to be done. And on one level, it sounds stubborn. On another one, it's like, no, plan A should work really well if y'all do y'all jobs. If y'all do your jobs, we do a tweak, but we don't change. We don't go to plan B. We just do plan A better, that type of thing. I love, I love, she is a genius. She does a basketball savant in the in the best way i love that i love that dude why do you think and this is where like the two sports that we covered are completely different why is it that basketball coaches all levels allow themselves to be more interesting than football coaches do because football coaches there's a military aspect to that i think there's a full i think there's a 
more than like the salute to service stuff, you know, with the NFL, but there's just a, I have 52 dudes and I can't put my hands on all of them. So I have to present this element of fear to them. And if I present this element of fear, they will play for me. And even if I'm not talking to them directly, I know when I'm talking to the media, I'm talking to them because they're going to see it. So I can't present a completely different image to the public than I do to these guys. And when there's, you know, the military element of it and coaches should be feared and you hear a lot of coaches refer to their players as kids and stuff like that. When like kids in a certain way, that's like paternalistic. And then it goes into, well, this is a man's game. You got to be tough. And it's like, wait a minute, the code switching is super, super quick. It's super, you know, like you got to tap into it. Like, oh, this is what you're trying to convey. It's, it's, it's like, it's like subverse. You know what I mean? Like it, it's almost really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really intentional, I think. Cause you, cause you got to be Bill Belichick and to be as interesting as a person as I think that he actually is. To be the borderline jerk that he is to the media takes a lot of effort. You know what you bothers have to me? Try to be that way. What bothers me about him, though, not him, but people who try to parrot his style, is that you think that that's what made him Bill Belichick instead right. of him being a genius in in the way that he goes about game planning and 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 everything, every teaching of the game. It's like coaches. Look at oh well, Bill is out here being a dick to the media. I've got to be one too because that's what it takes to be a winner. No, you can do it the way that Pete Carroll does it, and you can win. You can do it mm-hmm. the 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 way that that uh, that Sean Payton, who can be a little prickly, but he will also yes. explain stuff to you. You can be Bruce Arians if you want and have some fun with the media and win. It's just amazes me that that the in in the league that's supposed to be all about man up and everything else that they they love to play Real follow sensitive. the leader yeah and and be like we'll just do it the way that he did it instead of trying to figure out and forge your own path and basketball coaches th- that I've interacted with they'll sit down with you in a bar they'll pull out a salt shaker and a pepper shaker and be like this is the action that we were trying to use, and this right. is what we were doing. And th- there, there's not, there's no secrets on an NBA court, and I appreciate that about coaches. I think in the NFL, because there's 16 games or 17 games, they're more prone to being second guessed, and they and they probably hate the thought of being second guessed. So it's I got to project strength. Putting anything else to it means there's a level of weakness and it's going to be an opening for the talking heads or even the players to question my decisions. In the NBA, there's this tacit agreement. We're playing 82 games. I'm not going to get everything right. And because there's this agreement between the players and coaches in the league that, hey, if something isn't working, tell me what you see because you're out there performing it. It's a much more collaborative relationship where in the NFL, it's much more you, I say you do type of thing. And you're not supposed to question, go back again, military, chain of command, follow orders, that type of thing. It's not really that way. The power structure, the incentive structures in the NBA are not that way. And the best coaches in the NBA are often the coaches who know how to toe the line. Because if you give, if you see too much space, 
then what are you there for? You know what I mean? Like if it's your job to lead still and present things to them to make them feel like they're leading, but you can't be a guy that's just there for the ride because a player will look at you and say, Hey, if you're the coach, be the coach. And if you're not being the person that's able to guide and see things that we can't, why are, why are you here? And then you got other coaches who think they're new Rockney and think that they've invented the game. And that's why they find their asses out on the streets or find themselves better as an assistant coach, because they know there's a limit to what they can say as an assistant coach. They have not figured out how to turn whatever this thing that made them a head coach, keep them a head coach because they feel like they have to justify their existence. And I'll let you figure out, who I may or may not be talking about there. Is there a sporting event that you haven't covered or, or witnessed that you would Ooh. like to? Ooh, that is a good one. Um, that is a really, uh, a sporting event. Okay. I got you. A sporting event. I would love to cover big time fight night. It's great. Give me, Give me Vegas on a Saturday night between whether it's, you know, I'm from Detroit. So we had Tommy Hearns to, you know, give me a Hagler Hearns or give me a Hearns Leonard, like two top of the line dudes that ain't ducking each other. Even the heavyweights, like I get it, you know, but after a while it's like, oh, these two dudes pounding on, you know, these dudes leaning on each other. Middleweights is almost like you're getting just enough, right? But just the event feel of a big-time boxing match between two dudes who you know going to slug it out, yeah, give me ringside in Vegas. I'll wear tux. I'll do that. It's pretty amazing. I haven't covered a fight in a while, but I've covered Mayweather Cotto, and I was on the treadmill, like, the day before the fight, like, give my miles, because you know what Vegas can do to you. And <laughs> and I'm looking over, and Kodo's on the treadmill, like, next to me. It was just, like, he was still, like, putting in the work, like, getting ready for the weigh-in, like, all that good stuff. There's nothing like it. There's there There's nothing like the Saturday afternoon, like, when you go pick up your credential, and you can, all of these places are now, like, arenas inside of casinos for the most part. Right, right, right. But when you walk in, there's an energy level. Like, there's a, how can I say it? There's a. There's a thickness in there. There's a gravitas to it, you know? And mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. feel it. And when the fight's over, like, the energy that builds up for the fight, and you go through the, the, the undercard, and you finally get to the main card, it spills out into the streets, man. It is, it is, I'm so glad you picked that, because I think that that's the, that's the one that I think most sports fans haven't experienced and completely should. Like, even if it's MMA, go see a fight. Like, go yeah. uh, something big. Like, go be a part of it. I would love to cover. Because I've, I've covered boxing matches, um, but not in Vegas. Like, you know, I, I went to New York to Madison Square when I first moved to New York, and I, there, I forgot who was fighting. I mean, Madison, that's a um, that's a great one. That's a great venue to go the for, theater. for a yeah, fight. The theater, the theater part of uh, of MSG, like the other the other like MSG is huge for people who don't real like it. It's like four blocks in itself type of thing. But yeah, it's and I and maybe it was Dan, a, a Daniel Jacobs fight. You know what I mean? Maybe it was one of maybe it was one of those fights. And I I went there and got tickets for the friend. And we weren't even like in great, great seats. But I was like, oh, so if I get closer, 
I'm going to feel it more. But I, I still felt it from where I was sitting at. And it felt like, oh, yeah, this is, I can imagine what fight night is like. I want a cup, you know, I couldn't imagine what it was, was like in the 80s. And you had Duran and Hagler and Hearns and Sugar Ray, or just going to a Tyson fight when Mike Tyson was Mike bleeping Tyson. And he's walking to the ring and you hear the music and you see him come down amongst the crowd and he had the little white little shawl over his, you know, over his shoulder. Like the thickness, the heaviness of that. And then it culminates as soon as the first punch is thrown. Not even like the knockout. It's just like this moment like, okay, we're here. Like that type of thing. The closest thing I got to that, this we're here moment, was when Kevin Durant came back in the Mm. NBA Finals in 2018. And Golden State was down 3-1, and it was in Canada. And Canada was just ready. Toronto was ready to celebrate. And the court seemed small before the game. Usually the court feels like the biggest thing in the arena if you go to an NBA game. But the court felt small because so much around it was, you know what I mean? Like so much around it was heavy. And when Kevin Durant got there and made like his first three shots, I was like, okay, we're here now. Like this is what it's like. We are here and then, like two plays later, he popped it, and all the air went out. And I was like, I had a feel, I had a, I had a taste. That type, that that's what heavy, heavy is. Heavy is the moment where I'm watching Derrick Rose's three pointer from our media seats. I'm watching it come down like a missile, and I'm looking up like this because you can have where we sat, you had the perfect angle, and I'm like. And I'm a person in basketball, like, oh, that shot's going long. Or, oh, that's coming up short. And I can, like, mid-flight, I have a pretty good idea where it's going. And I'm like, oh, this is long. And then I was like, no, it's not. Boom! The UC blows up. Two days later. LeBron. LeBron. And as soon as he let it go, (laughs) as soon as he let it go, I turned to Sam Smith and said, ball game. As soon as he let it go, as soon as he got that sliver of space, ball game. It's all he needed. I mean, I, I was just sitting there going, oh. Because I knew, like, you just had the feeling that he was going to make the shot. And it, the poetry of Derek, like, hitting that big shot and Bulls fans being like, yeah. And then, like, not that guy. Like, not, don't give that guy a chance to beat you. And he, and that was the, And that was the funny thing because I was like the new guy. Right. I had just gotten there. I hadn't really covered playoff basketball in Detroit like that. Right. So I'm like, man, this is fun. Like there's no rooting interest. I didn't care. You know what I mean? Like I didn't care who won type of thing, but I'm like, man, this is just compelling. And the first series was Chicago, Milwaukee. So games three and four were in Milwaukee and all of Chicago travels to Milwaukee. Facts. So, So there's this big, like, it's like a college atmosphere. It's like Duke Carolina on a smaller on a different scale where, you know, or a big high school game. That's what it felt. It's like a big high school game where two rival schools are there and they let, oh, y'all let them in? All right, cool. Y'all let the fans in? And it's like one side cheer and the other side cheer. And that's what it felt like. Chicago Cleveland, like, oh, okay, we're here for, the, you know, this is, this is what we're here for type of thing. So watching, and uh, before every game, they would ask me for a prediction. And I'm like, I'm the new guy here, and y'all trying to get me to say who's going to win what. And, you know, what if I don't think they're going to win? So before game three, 
I said, the Bulls will win. I didn't say game winner. I said, the Bulls will win. And then I was like really tempted to say, but they ain't going to win after this. So after the Derrick Rose game winner, amidst all that, it's like a rainy Friday night in Chicago. I don't know why I remember that it was rainy, but it was like a rainy spring night, but it still felt good like yeah. by the time you left outside. So after the game, they said, so what do you think happens in game four? I said, I'm glad Chicago celebrated like this because tonight was the last win of y'all season. Oh, I mean, I, I didn't realize detected. that people was going to be mad about that. Oh, forever. Because, I mean, that team, I mean, you know how people felt about Derek. Like, that that team and, and it felt like things were finally kind of getting back to normal a little bit with the Bulls. But, yeah, they were always a man short. Like, there needed to be a secondary option, and they were always – we were all just sitting there going, well, I don't think you Derek someone to play with. Like, it's, it's... – Yeah, I bought it. He brought in a bunch of – it was like a who's who of who playing shooting guard for the Chicago Bulls. Like a who's who of who's this dude? Why is he here? Doesn't... Keith Bogans? Oh, I don't even know God. if Keith Bogans actually played for the Bulls, but I felt like Keith Bogans did play for the Bulls. <laughs> he did. He did. You know, like a back-end Rip Hamilton. You know what I mean? Like that type of thing. And then Jimmy Butler arrives, and then, you know, or arrives, arrives, right? So then, like, after game five, there was, or before, during game five, there was this Taj uh, Della Vadova thing where it looked like that Taj kicked Della Vadova in the back when Della Vadova did, like, that leg lock. And I stood up for Chicago, like, no, he didn't kick him. He shouldn't be suspended. Delhi's a dirty player, all this other type of stuff. And then someone asked me at the start of game six, what do you think happens tonight? Are you going back to Cleveland for game seven? I said, tomorrow, I was, <laughs> I'm a jerk. I said, my sister came to visit me this weekend. Tomorrow we're getting on the road and we're going back to Detroit because the season is ending tonight and it's going to be ugly. I didn't think it was going to be as ugly as it got. I was like, yeah, this is over. Like, I know a dead one thing coming from Detroit. I know dead team walking. That was dead team walking. Yeah, it was. Well, before I let you go, what do you think about the renaissance of Derrick Rose? Man, it's a great American tale, to be perfect. It is a, if you want to know, like, like, I think the Williams sisters are almost like the greatest American story that you could ever, girls from Compton, in tennis. Right. Taking over tennis through Compton? That's like a tale that you couldn't tell, right? I think Derrick Rose ain't that far behind. You know, from, you know, remember, there were people, especially in Chicago media, who believed Derrick Rose didn't love the game, mm -hmm. that his body was broken, that he couldn't figure it out, that he was just going to be content with his millions and go off somewhere. Derrick Rose could have retired and nobody would have said a word. And I wouldn't have blamed him if he did. The fact that this dude keeps coming back and not just coming back as the player you thought or the player you used to see. This ain't the Derrick Rose that's chasing the ghost of Derrick Rose. He's transformed himself. He went back to New York, a place that he didn't have the greatest experience at and has completely changed the narrative. He's on my six man ballot. Wow. He's on my six man of the year ballot. After being in Detroit where I saw him get comfortable with himself again. Yeah, he seemed happy there. I was he was. I I was uh I'm 
I'm happy for him that he gets to be back with Tibbs and that he's an evolved version of Derrick Rose. He's much. I mean, you grow up, you're mature. You're not 20. Like when, when I was 22, I was a unevolved mammal. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like I wasn't wild or crazy or anything like that, but I didn't know jack squat about life. And for Derrick Rose to come from where he came from, to carry the weight of where he came from, to be at the center of Chicago segregation, if we're going to be completely honest here, I mean, and for reasons we all know why. We tried to tell him in the Pooh documentary. Yeah, like that was the fact that he was able to pick up the weight, reset his life, re- reorganize things, get married, do all these different things. No matter what you think about Derrick Rose, the fact that this man is still standing, the fact that this man is still alive and not broken, add to the fact this evolution, add to the fact his maturity, add to the fact that he's pretty much the same simple dude that he always was. He ain't too different. He just evolved a little bit. And people opened their eyes and opened their ears. Just a little bit. But then there's some people who, who will never open their eyes and their ears. And he ain't trying to win them over no way. Can't win. You can't win those. I, I saw you on Twitter talking about one of my favorite subjects, songs in the key of life. So I'm so happy that you mentioned another star because oh. to me, I think, I think that there are a lot of people that, that aren't, let me I'm, see how I can delicately, I can say this, that like Stevie Wonder, but don't know about that song. And to me, when Andre 3000 says, even Stevie Wonder got down sometimes, I'm thinking another star is what he, in my mind, is what he's talking about. It's a, it's a festival. The song itself is a festival. Like, if you find songs in the key of life to be too much, right? Too many topics, too many songs, four sides, you know, back then, you know, sides, right? Not just one disc. If you find it to be too much, all right, cool. If you want to say fulfillingness or inner visions, it's better because that's all come in the same classical period. I will not argue with you. Talking book, all that, right? My retort to you will always be, it don't got ass and it don't got another star. Yep. Ass is the greatest song ever written by man. Like, by human being, it is the, I cannot overstate this, the second verse, when it starts off, when it drops and it goes into, did you know, true love asks for nothing, her acceptance is the way we pay. Say nothing more, he could have died right then. Stevie could have literally <laughs> dropped dead. The song would not have been finished and we wouldn't have known any better because we would have said, there's nothing better than that moment, right? Then he drops another star, which is just an absolute flex. It's a banger. Like, it just, it, it hits you in the face with its soulfulness. The drums, when the drums come in, and then the drums come out later in the song, where he's just like, nah, we'll just let this breathe. That's the biggest flex where Stevie's like, yeah, I did all of that, but I'll just pull it out and I'll let the song breathe for a minute. Just taking it like you sing as, like I sing as, I listen to another star. 
some songs are so great that you can't sing along to, that you just have to literally like absorb it. You know what I mean? Another Star is a song that you absorbed and it is, like I said, it's a festival. Like it's not his most perfect song. His most perfect song might be Superstition. Just because it's so different than what everything else was at that time. And Superstition is a top five song. And if you ever have a certain set of headphones, listen to Superstition with one headphone on and one headphone off. Different instruments play in your ear. You don't realize it because it all comes in together. But Superstition with one earphone in, one out, sounds so bleeping great. Another star is the same way. It's like, it sounds like a completely different song, but it sounds so brilliant. Oh! You're right about the percussion, man. The drums in that is just like, it's, and, and like, I love that the way that the piano, like, it, it's, it's different, like, it's just a difference, like, where you might have Stevie on as like, kind of playing like this. On another star, he's playing like this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he, he is slamming the keys on it, and it just feels amazing. He's not playing. It's like he's chasing the song. Yes. Except he's not chasing it. He's right along. You can't even, you can't quite cruise to As. As is just like an experience. Another star is like, okay, I need to hear everything going. Oh, that's so, dude, if your list doesn't have another star on it, you don't have a list. But then the problem is there's another 25 songs (laughs) that's like that. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's literally another 20 five songs like that where it's like wait what's your top five stevie Wonder song all of them yes every single one of them because i because i because i tell you i cannot create a list that doesn't have this or this or this or you know oh yeah what about sir duke you know what i mean like that type of thing i felt like sir duke birthed another star oh that's brilliant you know what i mean you're right you're right because the way that that ends, you can you can feel the that Stevie doesn't want the song to end, that he wants to keep kind of toying with it and you know saying all right well let's try it this way let's try more harmonica let's 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 see what happens. Like there's songs like Sugar and Too High and Creeping, like wait this dude is talking about creeping and he's blind. Yes, he is. Allegedly blind. Thank you for saying it. Well, you got to think. I grew up in, I'm a Detroit native. I think Stevie is legally blind. I do not think that Stevie is not blind. I think Stevie is legally blind. That's where I'm at. I, and I think that he. I think he can see shadows. I think he can see shadows. And some, and you know, you ever close your eyes and you can see something? Sure. All right. That's Stevie. I, I think Stevie used to play practical tricks on his babysitters in Detroit. Once again, Stevie Wonder, Saginaw native, which is a, while, a ways away from Detroit. Not, you know, think beyond Naperville type of thing. You know, beyond that far. Think of where the Six Flags is. Yeah. Or maybe beyond that, like Saginaw type of thing. So you come to Detroit, it's not like a suburb. But little Stevie Wonder playing tricks on his babysitters because he's not totally blind, he's just legally blind. Those are different. Like I asked if Steve wanted to drive my car. No, I mean they did that on the Cosby Show once, and it, it didn't end up good. But that was that was uh that, that was Denise's fault. That wasn't Stevie's fault. Everything everything's Denise's fault. 
This is 100% true. On, on so many different levels, everything. Blame, blame Denise was like the entire premise of a lot of different things. It was. Even though you had two sort of brown skinnedish darker colored parents and then you popped out light skinned Denise and light super super light skinned uh Sandra super light do you know that she was only 10 years younger than Felicia Rashad yep I could and it, well you gotta think if Felicia Rashad is like 70 now that would have probably made her what 35 yeah back then so black not cracking these are these are the facts and everybody has learned a lesson from an Elvin cuss out a day or two in their life. And when when you had uh, I was, uh, Vanessa go to Baltimore, everyone oh, found out. Yeah, with the wretched, everyone found out that America had a black mom, and and they they learned real quick. Like my my mom is almost like a carbon copy of Claire Huxtable, hmm. and and I'm like. Now you get it. Like now you understand. Like it, my mom is someone to be feared. <laughs> like, yeah. And people saw it when Vanessa went to Baltimore to go be with the wretched and sing the wretched songs. My mother is a light skinned. Okay, put it like this, because she ain't gonna listen to this, and hopefully nobody points this to her. She's a combination between Adele Wayne. Okay. And. Uh, Whitney's mother. She has the bouginess. Oh, she has she has the bouginess of Mona. But she got and some 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 Patty Labelle. She she got she she got she got some Adele Wayne. Get down. <laughs> she got some De- Adele. She like I'm bougie, but I get my hands dirty type of thing. Okay. One one. See, I never got quite cussed out for like sneaking off because there was the fear factor of. Man, this woman is this woman is is beige rage. Don't need them problems. You really don't. <laughs> you hey, really don't. If you've never encountered beige rage, hope you never have to. I hope so too. Vincent, <laughs> how, man, this, how do we get here? How do we get to all these different topics, bro? This is the way that it's supposed to go. Like I, <laughs> these these are the things I I do have one more thing that I want to ask you, but I know you've already been super generous with your time, so I'll save it for another time but i appreciate you doing this because this this was a lot of fun this is the superhero team up that i was looking for well i mean we could look man ain't too many of us uh dark-skinned darker colored folk (laughs) in the in the chicago media chicago media alum it ain't it ain't it ain't but like five right that's accurate dang i really did nail it it's like five yeah pretty much so it's a it's a in the in the uh, in the words of uh, Dave Chappelle with uh, Wayne Brady, actors help an actor. Black actors stick together. <laughs> Black actors, and then and it was Moody. <laughs> and then Wayne shot him. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks, man. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Hey, man, this is fun, man. Miss I miss Chicago, believe it or not. Miss the restaurant. I think we miss you too. Quite honestly, like we 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 could use a Vincent Goodwill out here covering. Not even just the Bulls, but now they're actually interesting. Like, you could be covering an interesting team now. Sometimes All the Bulls teams were interesting. Last year's team wasn't it. Well, I guess it was initially interesting. And then Sarge. Sarge. I'm, 
God. I'm gonna give you credit when I reference that on the air. That's Sorry. good. That's so perfect for him. And now we got a general. <sighs> good luck. Thanks, man. Go enjoy <laughs> play playing basketball, man. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, appreciate you, man. See you soon. You got it, man. Peace. All right, so there it is. Vinny Goodwill telling you all about Stevie Wonder. Another Star is my favorite Stevie Wonder song, as is, like, right behind it. But there's so many, like, songs in the key of life, there's so many good ones to choose from. I I love both of them, but Another Star, like, that's just funky to me. Like, it puts me in such a good mood, that boom, 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 boom. It just puts me in a mood to party. It's got a lot of significance. The song itself has a lot of significance to me. But uh, I'm glad that Vincent had enough time to descend into some silliness <laughs> inside of the podcast. That was a blast. Uh, shout out to, to Bomani because Bomani was talking a little bit about this too. And I knew that I was going to have Vincent because Vincent is, is a regular on B- Bomani's podcast. And... I was listening to it and I was like, I'm so having a discussion with Vincent about Stevie Wonder. So, shout out to Bomani and Spencer Hall because they did a really, really well-informed, like, musical breakdown of Stevie Wonder. And then, of course, Vincent and I get into it and it descends into Ken Stevie C. I think that Vincent, I think that he he spoke about it the way that it should be spoken about. Man, I really appreciate that he was on the pod. I also appreciate you listening to the pod and supporting the pod. The If you have not listened to the episode, uh, a couple episodes back, of Layla Rahimi on with Maddie Lee, you've got to listen to it. It's really great, and it tells, you know, like I had Layla on the pod like a couple years ago, but now like the, her career circumstances have changed that she is now working as an everyday talk show host on The Score. What she does for a living is completely different. So hearing her perspective on all of this was wonderful, and Maddie did a great job with the interview. So please go back and listen to that episode. It's good. Like, if you're like, oh, we're getting close to the end of this episode, yeah, you're getting close to the end of this episode, go back and listen to that episode. And check out what the boys on Sports Adjacent are doing. I don't know what to do with them. I can't believe that I I have two podcasts that Tony Gill is on. That is problematic and needs to be resolved. And the other podcast he's on is the the podcast with no name right now with Ranji and Roki and Tony, which I'm just calling Roki, Ranji, and Tony. They came up with a name, but the name's kind of long. It's hard to put in a widget. But they are doing some hilarious stuff as we continue to kind of build out House of L and and try to give you a bunch of different things. I know that I haven't been. I'm going to, now that I've got some things stabilized as far as, like, the move and having the studio all set up and stuff or kind of set up, I'm going to be producing more content more frequently. House of L Actual is going to be doing some of that stuff. 
and it'll be great. I have some I have some episodes that are already in the can that are amazing. So I can tell you that over the next couple of weeks you're going to hear from Anthony Heron in a sit long sit down which is phenomenal and you're going to hear from Lynn Casper. And there's going to be some cool stuff on there that I probably didn't tell you about. We'll get to that coming up in that episode. But big thanks to Vincent for dropping by the pod. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to David Hogberg. Like, for real, for real. 855-56-DAVID, 56david.com. If you're thinking about buying a house, don't do it before you call David. And just ask him. Ask him about what he did for me. Because he he got me set, and it happened really quickly. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Go back and listen to some episodes. Some good stuff and some good people on here, so don't forget that. I appreciate the support. We are, I, I project that by the end of June, we will hit the million download. I was looking at the numbers today, and we are super close. I think we're at 970-ish. So by the end of the month, we should be there. If you want to hit me up, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to the pod. I'll talk to you next time. Yeah.